Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. You guys can grab a seat. We thank them for leading us in worship. You guys are awesome. I don't know if you noticed or uh, if you saw, but just in case you wanted to worship in Spanish, we had the Spanish <laughs> lyrics up there. During the, you probably didn't notice because you were worshiping, but I did. And don't worry, I didn't try to sing in Spanish. But um, speaking of uh, our tech team, and not for lack of, they do an incredible job, but Grant has a few, uh, I forgot to m- mention this up front, Grant does have a few holes on his team. Uh, we are needing some people to step in and help lead with um, the pro presenter slide um, doing slides and being part of the worship team on Sunday morning. So if you're interested in serving there, we need help. It's uh, a role that they can train you in, that, that's, um, that, that, that they can yeah, make sure that you're ready and able to help out there. As you can see, Grant or Lindsay, probably Lindsay would be better. Uh, if you reach out to them, uh, they'll get back to you and they'll get y'all information on that. So a couple other things. Uh, raise your hand if you were at Rad Resource yesterday. Nice, high, and proud. Man, Awesome. Thank y'all. Can we clap for them? And yeah, it was an awesome day. And um, it was cool because during worship, I was thinking about yesterday during Rad Resource, we had a time of worship for the kids and it was in this room and they had glow, it was a glow stick worship dance party. And so, I mean, kids had glow sticks and they're waving around and Shay and, and Denise had like the glow stick glasses up and they were worshiping. It was awesome. And so, uh, our worship wasn't quite as lively this morning as yesterday with glow sticks and dancing, but it was incredible. So thank you all to those who served um, uh, yesterday. It was a great day. So we've been in a sermon series. We're three weeks in to what we're going to basically spend the entirety of the fall in is the book of John. And so the, the title of our series is called Come and See and uh, the Gospel of John. And, and this idea of coming to see is this invitation. You're going to see it today. You saw it last week when we talked about the conversation that Jesus had between he and Nicodemus in chapter 3. And from the beginning and all the way to the end of John, you're going to see that it is this invitation to come and see for yourself. And that is the spirit of uh, what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks until Thanksgiving. I'm telling you, football season is here. I know it's still hot, but I'm telling you, fall is going to be here and gone before you know it. And you're going to start hearing Christmas music in Walmart and, you know, HEB or wherever, and you're going to be tired of it soon. So uh, I really want to encourage you to engage in that. One way that you can engage is uh, we have a 11-week read and devotional through the book of John that basically walks you through it. It's a, it's a daily devotional. There's five days in a week for this. And so you've got some, some flex and give there. And our small groups are going to be talking about John as well. And so if you haven't gotten one of these books and you're interested in grabbing one, we have a few extras out in, our, in the lobby with our guest services team. Just grab one. They're $9 a piece. And so rather than giving money to our guest services team or whomever, you can just drop it into our grace gift boxes whenever or if you, you're tithe, if you're tithing next week, you could just add $9 onto that. Or if you are in need and, and financially $9 is too much for you right now, just take one 
And so I would love for you to be reading through this with us. It doesn't correlate. It's not, we're not preaching through this book, but it's, this guides you on a, a reading and journaling through the book of John this fall. And then we're going to be teaching through it and our small groups are going to be discussing it. So I'm really excited about this series and I'm really excited about this morning. And so I want to jump in pretty quickly because we have a lot of scripture that we're going to go through. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I would love for you to look that up and, and pull that out. And we're going to read the bulk of John chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible and you need one, our guest services team can bring one to you. And so if you just raise your hand, uh, we, our guest services team can bring you a Bible. So thank you, Sean, for getting us uh, a couple in the front. So John chapter 4. And I'm going to pray for us while you're looking to that and just pray for the Lord to speak to us through uh, this interaction that Jesus has with this woman at the well. Dear Lord, we thank you and praise you for this morning. Uh, we love you, Father, and we thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for Gary and his team that is out worshiping in a prison. We thank you for the worship that was at Rad Resource yesterday with glow sticks and dancing and fun. And I just thank you for that, Jesus, that... Uh, there's not a right or wrong way. There's so much diversity in how we worship you. And Jesus, the, the, the core in our heart is to worship you in spirit and in truth. So we thank you and praise you for that. Uh, I pray for this morning. We've got a lot of texts that we're going to read through, Jesus, but I think it's so important. I just ask, Lord, would you speak through your word to us well, as we look at this interaction that Jesus has with the woman at the well? Lord, would, would we see ourselves in that? Would we see ourselves in that conversation? Would we see ourselves in how she feels? Would we see ourselves in the, the, the cultural and, and ethnic tension that's there, Jesus? And, and would you speak um, to each one of us exactly how we need to hear it, God? Would you uh, quiet my own voice and amplify your own uh, and activate my gifts and skills as we look through this right now? We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So, John chapter 4 um, uh, is, is a story that you may have heard before, and it's this meeting between Jesus and this woman at the well. And so we're going to jump in, but a little bit of context. This is on the heels of, if you were here last week, we talked about uh, John chapter 3. And as a lot of you know, John three sixteen is the most famous scripture and sentence and words of all time that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that is the, between this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And we looked last week at how Nicodemus was this, was the religious leader of the time. He was, a, he was the Pharisees of all Pharisees. He was a man with authority, a man with power, a man with wealth, a man with, that was educated and intelligent and had all the answers. And we see this secret meeting between he and Jesus in the middle of the night and this really sweet conversation and we pointed out the last week here that here is Jesus, this carpenter, this man that, that's speaking with this religious leader and this, this cultural leader and this guy that has authority and power and just the humility that's in that and this juxtaposition. Well, this week, it's immediately followed where Jesus uh, travels, is traveling and, and meets this, this Samaritan woman at the well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go all the way to the different end of that spectrum. And that's just the beauty of... of of Jesus and his interaction with people is that here he is and he's, he's meeting with this religious leader. And then in the next chapter, he goes and he sits with a woman at the well who, who's rejected by society and culture. And it's just the beauty of Jesus. So um, we're going to jump in in John chapter 4, starting in verse 
four. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some. I'm going to read through and talk a little bit about it so that we can break it up a little bit just to give you a little bit of context because there's a lot here and there's a lot to understand here culturally and what's going on at the time. And so uh, here's Jesus and he's left Judea and he's going to Galilee. And, and, And verse four says, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So here's Jesus, and he's, he's on this journey from Judea to Galilee, and he's passing through Samaria. And what you're going to see in this story is that the, the shortest route bef- between two points is what? A straight line. And the middle of this straight line is Samaria. But most people that travel this journey would go around Samaria. And, and it's not because the Samaria was dangerous or that it was a, it was a tough trek. It was because that the Jewish people did not want to even associate with the, the Samaritan people, that they wanted to, to, to avoid them altogether. And here's Jesus. He walks right through the middle of it, and he, he arrives at this well, and it says it's in the sixth hour. And uh, scholars tell us that that's about noon. So it's the middle of the day. It's hot. And Scripture tells us that, that Jesus is wearied from his journey, and he sits beside this well. And I love this image of Jesus at, at noon. It's a hot day. He's traveling. He's alone. His disciples have gone into town. And here he is, and he's tired. And I love just the humanity of Jesus in this moment. And, and it's just these sweet moments that we get where we see just the human side of Jesus that we can relate with. Like, we all know what that's like to be in the middle of the day, a hot day. It's in the summer, and to be tired and want to sit beside a well and just drink uh, a drink of water. So in verse 7, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman asked him, said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And and that's what I was uh, hinting at and speaking to. And as I started researching the scripture this week, it was one of those rabbit trails and this endless endless hole that the more you research about what was going on during this time, the more you realize that you didn't even get it is that here are these two groups of people that's got so much uh, ethnic and religious tension between them that Jews didn't even associate by walking through their town or, or going through their well. And so the fact that Jesus is here, it's the middle of the day, he's alone there with a woman and, and, and drinks of this is pretty substantial. And that some of the research I was reading, there's a pastor named uh, David Gazik, and he wrote it this way. And just listen to how he describes the, the, just the ethnic and cultural tension that's between these two groups of people that Jesus walks right into. He said, most of the Jews in Jesus' time despised the Samaritans, disliking them even more than the Gentiles, because they were, religiously speaking, half-breeds who had an eclectic, mongrel faith. And man, just like you begin to sense and get the feeling of what was going through uh, culturally between these groups of people. And so I want you to know that when Jesus goes to this well, that just the fact that he would go through Samaria, just the fact that he would drink from one of their wells, just the fact that he would even speak to uh, someone who was Samaritan was really substantial to this story um, and, and something that we not, not necessarily can even relate to. So in verse 10, it says, Jesus answered her because she asked him, how are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus answered, he said, if you knew the gift of God 
And who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water again. So here it is in that Jesus, she's at this well, and he, he asks her for this drink, and she notices he doesn't even have a, a pail or a bucket. She says, how are you even going to draw water out? Like, what was your plan? And so Jesus offers her living water. And this is, this is, la- this is drastically different of what the water that she's drinking from or what she is doing at this time. The, the journey to go get water was one that took a lot of effort and a lot of energy. I mean, and she's, she's hot and tired. And notice that she's alone. You see, this woman, you're going to find out more about her, that typically the people from the town, the women from the town that went and drew water from the well would go early in the morning. And so they, the women from the town have already been there and already drawn water from the well. So this woman, the Samaritan woman that we're going to find out more about, she's not even welcome to drink and go and draw water with the other women from her city and from her town and from Samaria. And here she is in the middle of the day going to, to drink this water. And you think about this water that they're drinking. This is, this is a hot and arid place. And this is Jacob's well. It's a famous well. And, and, and a lot of the water they're drinking is shallow. It's, it's muddy, it's dirty, it's got, it's, got, uh, it's got stuff in it, it's got muck on the top, and here she is drinking from this water, and then Jesus offers her this living water that she's never going to go thirsty again. So she says, how do I get this water? Sir, give me this water so I'll never be thirsty and have to come here and make this trek to this well again. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I I perceive that you are a prophet. Yeah, you think, like he calls her out, this is who you are. Like, go and call your husband is his response. She says, well, I don't have a husband. He's like, right, that's right, you've had five, and the woman, that the husband that you're with right now is not even your husband that you're in a relationship with. And she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Yeah, you think. And so it's easy to read this and think that Jesus is making light, or, or that, that, Jesus is, um, that Jesus is poking a bear, so to speak, or that Jesus is being snarky. And it's, it's easy to read it that way, but that's not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is he is bringing her into the light, and he's bringing her sin into the light. If you remember from John chapter 1, when we kicked off this series, uh, in the very beginning, it says, In him was life, that Jesus, the Word that became flesh, it says, In him was life, and that life is the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And so really what Jesus is doing at this moment is he's bringing her into the light. 
who she is, what she's doing with the sin that's in her life. And it's like putting a lamp. It's like, you know, those old detective movies where they get them in the, the dark room and they say, you know, tell us the truth. And they turn the light on when they expose them. It's this, this symbolic thing of, of, of putting darkness into the light. And where there is light, there cannot be darkness. And so that's really what Jesus is doing. And don't mistake this for condemnation. It's easy to see this and see that Jesus is judging her, condemning her. He's calling her out for this thing, but that's not, that's not what he's doing here. But, but the word says that even Jesus said to the woman that was caught in adultery, he says, uh, he says to her that they don't condemn you, nor do I. And you see this is that God is the judge. And Jesus says, I did not come to judge. I came to save And so Jesus is not condemning or judging her in this moment. He's just bringing her sin and her lifestyle, what she's doing into the light uh, and, and to be seen for what it is. And we think this as Christians a lot of time. We get in this place to think that our role, that what, what the Lord wants us to do as being a Christ follower is to be on his jury, right? He's judge and we're jury and here we are and we can judge the world and we can help make, make decisions on what is right and what is wrong. And the truth is, is that we are not on his jury, that God and God alone is judge and jury. That being a Christian is not like getting jury duty where we have to go and we have to judge the people around us. That's not what it is. And that's not what Jesus is doing here. And so in verse 20, he continues. Uh, or no, the woman says, uh, after saying, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she says this. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, I want you to listen to this, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this is lending, this is peeling back the curtain a little bit more to what's going on uh, culturally between these two groups. She says, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Uh, verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah, I skipped a verse. Let me back up. Um, verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here now, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Do you remember this morning? I prayed that. I pray that when we would come before him, we would worship in spirit and truth. He said, that time is now that we will worship the true father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And then the woman continues to talk about the Messiah. And so what she's talking about here, where she compares like you worship at this place, we worship here on this mountain, and you worship over there on that mountain. This is, this is beginning to give you a picture of their, their ethnic and their cultural and their religious differences. And so part of, the, part of the, the beef between these two groups, between the Jews and the Samaritans, and the way the Jews that see the Samaritans as these half-breeds, as they have this mongrel faith, is that, that they, what they worship isn't right and what we worship is right. And tell me, have you ever heard something like that before? Does that sound familiar? I mean, it's crazy to think that here they are and Jesus is dealing with the same thing that, that 2,000 and however many years later we're dealing with now. Oh, that's not right. And you've got to worship this way and you've got to worship like this. Oh, you can't a church in a YMCA? No, 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 no. You've got to have a steeple with a, you know, that we think that it's got to be this certain way. And Jesus is saying, look, but the truth is that the time is coming and in fact is here now or Jew, or Gentile, Samaritan, or Christian, or whatever it is that we worship in spirit and truth and worship the one true Father. Um, 
And she says this, and she realizes this, and then you begin to see that she does know the truth, right? She knows Scripture, and she says, um, she says this. The woman said, I, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. The funny thing is she's speaking to him. She's speaking to him. She knows the prophecy. She knows what Isaiah has said. She said, I know that the Messiah and the prophets, uh, the, the, I know the Messiah, the Christ is coming. And that he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He says, that is who I am. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled at what he was talking, that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. And so I just love this interaction that Jesus has with this woman. And this final invitation, this woman, she says, come and see, I found the Christ. And so I want to look through a little bit about what Jesus does here and how he interacts with this woman and what that means for us in our own context. And, and I know it's, it's, it's weird to think about, you know, we're talking about the, this, this difference between the Samaritans and the, the Jews and think about us and, and, and our context and culture. But there's some really important thing that I think that Jesus does here that is good for us to understand and to know and to take away. And the first thing is this. The first truth is this, is that Jesus steps into the prejudice. That Jesus steps into the prejudice. If, uh, and, and, and we talked about many of the people would have gone around Samaria, that there was another route to go. It was longer and it was hotter and it was easy, but that was the route to get from Judea to um, to Galilee. That, that, that was the route that you go. Here are these two cities that are really important for the Jews. And smack dab, inconveniently, are these mongrel faith, half-breed believers called the Samaritans. And so we're going to avoid them by going around. And that, that, was, that was, but that's, in fact, that's not what Jesus says. He walks directly through. And if you look closely in the scripture, verse 4 says he had to pass through Samaria. It says he had to pass through Samaria, and that had to literally tra- uh, translates to it was necessary that he pass through Samaria, Samaria. And I wonder why. Why was it necessary for Jesus to get through there? It wasn't that he, that was the only path, but that's where he was called to go. And verse 7 says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And so Jesus deliberately and intentionally violates what is appropriate, what is acceptable to be a Jew by traveling through Samaria. And Scripture said that he had to go through there. And not only that, but he speaks to this woman. And so the the, the idea that the Jews hated the Samaritans, and Jesus immediately walks right into that prejudice. And injustices have been done. Is that this is what's going on between the Jews and the Samaritans at this time goes back generations and hundreds of years. And, and I, I told you that they, the, the Samaritans built their own temple on top of a separate mountain so that they could go and worship. In 128 BC, the Jews snuck in at night and burned their temple to the ground. I mean, this was an active clashing of these two groups. That, that it, this goes all the way back to when the Babylonians exiled the lowest class, these lowest class people uh, began and, and, and bred with, with uh, the Jew, I mean, the Israelites at this time. And that's where this, this culture and the Samaritans came out of. And the interesting thing is neither Jesus nor this woman of the well are guilty of any of that. 
Jesus didn't do those things. Jesus did not burn their temple. Jesus did not, did not see or, or, or want them to be felt as like, as like this half-bred person. And nor did this woman of Samaria. She wasn't part of that, that either. But it still existed between them. And I think about our society and our culture is that there are things that have gone on in the history of our country. Look, you look at slavery and you look at segregation. Look at all these things that have come down. And none of us in this room are guilty of that. None of us participated in that. None, are, none of us were, we don't, we don't accept that or think that's right. But it still exists. It still exists in our society and our culture. That they're dealing with this thing that happened 128 years before and even years before that, and it's still there between them. And so what, that's what I think sometimes we don't realize is that there are these cultural and ethnic and racial tensions and division within, our, within the, the, community that, the community that we live in. We are not guilty of those. We are not a part of it nor do we accept it, but it's a reality of the, of the community that we live in. And look at what Jesus is. He walks right into that. And then beyond that, you're going to see more levels to this, is that here's a man that is speaking with a woman. This is the second thing that Jesus violated. That in this time, for, for a rabbi, if you remember, people call Jesus a rabbi. For a rabbi to speak to a woman in public is a violation that men would not even address or speak to their wives or their daughters in public. And so the fact that Jesus goes to this woman and speaks to her and acknowledges her is significant. He says, woman, he says, give me something to drink. Um, and that, and that, that here it is, and that this, here is Jesus, who's considered this rabbi, is considered this, he's, this, he's of this Jewish class, and this woman who's Samaritan. Not only is she a woman, not only is she a Samaritan, but she's of the lowest class. That this woman isn't even allowed to go and be with the other women when they draw water from the well. That, is that, that she's a woman that's been through multiple relationships and multiple marriages where she's not even uh, accepted by society. And Jesus speaks to her. And then the third thing he does is that not only does he, as a Jew, talk to a Samaritan, not only does he as a man talk to a woman that, that's against everything that is what's considered right and appropriate, but he asked her for a drink. He asked her for a drink from her cup, right? Jesus wasn't carrying around his Nalgene or his Hydro Flask, and he wasn't like, hey, can you, can you give me a little bit out of your water fountain? No, he didn't have a cup. He didn't, he didn't have a bucket. The woman calls him out. She says, you don't have anything to drink with. What are you going to draw from this living water? And so Jesus is literally asking, can I drink after you? He's asking her if he can drink from her cup. Um, and this is, you're going to see this as we walk through the rest of John, as you read through the gospel. This is what Jesus does. Is he, that he enters into these interactions with people on a personal level. And there's, this, there's these, these moments where he has touch with them. And you see these moments where, where Jesus interacts, not just verbally with people, where he touches them, where he drinks after them. In Matthew chapter 8, you see the, 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 the leper that comes to Jesus. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Is it here is a, the, a man that's dying of leprosy an infectious disease that if you touch this man, you will now have leprosy, that you will be infected. And Jesus, what does he do? He reaches out and he touches him. And this goes back to the holiness of Christ. 
and uh, that this holiness of Christ, that here it is, is that Jesus, this pure and perfect being, comes into this sinful world, and rather than darkness overtaking the light, that he would touch things and make them pure. That he would touch this man with leprosy, and he would be healed of his leprosy. That he would take this cup, and he would drink after this Samaritan woman. And in our, our culture and society, that, that, that idea of going and touching someone is so, has become more and more foreign to us. You think about the affection of a child. Last week in Camp Fun, uh, Barrett, my youngest, was with Scott Marshall in Camp Fun. And Scott was sweet to bring him to me because Barrett struggles in Camp Fun sometimes. He's four. He's a bit rowdy. And Scott just, Scott just said, hey, I want to let you know that... Um, that Barrett was great today, that he helped out with picking up toys. He knew his memory verse. I gave him two seconds, and Barrett was so excited. And, you know, Scott's holding Barrett, and Barrett just, I mean, he just hugs Scott, buries his face into Scott's cheek, and, and hugs him as hard as he can. It's a sweet moment of like, man, look at this interaction, this touch between these human beings. Is that kids get it where we don't always. And we live in a world of keyboard activism, that what we want to do is we want to get behind a keyboard or on a blog or on a social media site and we want to attack people and tell them that they're wrong and they're bad and how they feel and what they do is, is a mistake. But I want to know, like, if you had to go to that person face to face and you had to say that to them and you had to reach out and touch them, would you say those things? Would you feel that way about them? And here's Jesus that's blowing through all these prejudices to drink after this woman. It's this beautiful example how, how Jesus, the first thing, he goes right into the prejudice. The second thing that I think is important from this scripture is that Jesus acknowledges the well. So not only does he step and literally walk right into all that prejudice and all that tension between the Jews and Samaritans, but he acknowledges the well. He says in verse 16, he says to her, he says, go and call your husband and have him come. Verse 17, the woman said, I have no husband. She left out details. She's like, well, the man I'm with is my husband. She's like, oh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right in saying that you have no husband. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. And so Jesus asked her this loaded question and says, hey, oh, yeah, I will give you a drink of this. Why don't you go and bring your husband? And what he's doing is he's acknowledging the well that she's been drinking from. And again, this isn't, this isn't to be mean to her. This isn't to, to make her feel embarrassed, but this is, this is him acknowledging the spiritual well that she's drinking from, the relationship that she has with these men. And it's like a, as a parent that you ask a children, you have to ask them very specific questions about things that they did. <clears throat> I'm like, you know, kids are fussing, they're fighting, and, and you know, one of them will come to me and say, so-and-so hit me. And I'll say, did you hit them? They're like, no, I didn't hit them. I nudged them. Oh, you didn't hit them, but you bumped. I bumped them. I didn't hit them. I bumped them. I'm like, okay, did, tell me this. Did you physically touch them in any way, shape, or form that might have been aggressive to them? Yeah. Like you got to pinhole them to make sure you get to the root of the question. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's bringing light to this idea, and he asks this loaded question. And the truth is, is that just like our bodies are thirsty, you have to drink water. You have to drink every day. Just like that physically we thirst for water, so is true with the soul, is that your soul is thirsty. In Psalm chapter 63, a psalmist David says this, a psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judea, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. 
as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And this image of water and our souls thirsting after that is something that we see again and again all throughout Scripture. We see it in Genesis. In the second verse of the Bible, it says, the Spirit of God hovered over the what? Over the water. Right? We see it in Ezekiel, in, the, in the, the image in Ezekiel with a temple, the new temple's there, and water is flowing out from under, under, the, uh, from under the temple and out to the Dead Sea, and there's life. We see it in baptism. We had a baptism last week of Angela Rankin, and we see this image of water and how what an important role that plays. We see it in chapter 2, John chapter 2, and Jesus turns water to wine. We see it in the chapter after this, which I I believe that Sean may teach on next week. We see it at the pool of Bethsaida, uh, and we see Jesus walking on water. We see this image of water being consistent throughout Scripture. And what Jesus is acknowledging is that our souls, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, doesn't matter. Your soul thirsts, just as your body does. And what we end up doing is we go after it wells, we drink from different wells, and the well that this woman is drinking from is, the, is this relationship that she desires from man, is acceptance that she desires from a husband or a human being. It's a physical relationship that makes her feel loved, that, that can be where her value is found, to know that she's wanted and desired and attractive right? That men desire and long for her. That's the well that she's been drinking of. It's security. It's affection. And see, the problem is, is that when we drink from these wells, we become more thirsty. And we drink more from these wells, and we become more thirsty. And, and no matter if she's had five husbands, or if she's not married to the person she's with now, or whatever it is, she's still thirsty. And she will still come back to that well again and again. And what Jesus is offering her is something different. And so the what, what happens in our lives is these wells become our identity. They become who we are. Uh, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, uh, and, you know, back in, I think it was 2013, the Flint water crisis in Flint, Michigan, is that the people of Flint, what happened is they, they switched their water source from uh, the Great Lakes to uh, the Flint River, and the people of Flint, Michigan began to drink out of, out of the Flint River. And what they saw is that the, that the water that they were supplying to this community, the pipes that they were drinking from were poisonous, were poisonous. And they, that's, uh, studies show that lead levels that they were drinking out of the fossil were seven times what was appropriate or what was, what was acceptable for us to drink from. It was seven times that limit. Literally, the water that was coming through their pipes were more, was more contaminated than if they went down to the Flint River and drank directly out of the river, that the pipes that they were bringing it to put that much lead. And here they were, and they were, this was the water that this community was drinking from. And they, 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 they found that legionnaires, legionnaires disease uh, existed here and people began to die. And they, they saw it affect a generation of people that the more they drank from this water, the more they became infected. And, 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 and it became this, this crisis for this community, a financial crisis, this cultural crisis. And the same is true for us is that in our spiritual lives, we go and we drink from these wells. And I don't know what it is for you. And sometimes those wells aren't even bad. But over time, we become more and more thirsty. I have a really good friend uh, that, man, he is an incredible guy. He's an incredible guy. But he struggled with heroin addiction for as long as I've known him. And, and again and again, he's gone back to heroin. He's been to rehab. He's been to prison. He's come out. And, and no, matter what he can do, no matter what he does, he keeps going back to that well. 
and it breaks my heart because I know this man and he is a good person. But what he is is he's a heroin addict. That becomes his identity. That becomes who he is. And literally that's the, the well that he's drinking from. And so, again, he's going to rehab and a facility away, and he's going for months, and he's walking away from all that. And he's got a beautiful family and a beautiful life, and he's an incredible person. But we do that in our lives. And so that's what Jesus recognizes in this woman. When he asks her this question, bring your, or tells her, bring your husband. She says, well, I don't have a husband. He's like, right, you have five. You've had five, and the one you're with now isn't your husband. What he's doing, he's identifying the well that she's drinking from. And then um, the last thing that he does is that he offers her a living well. So not only does he identify the well that she's drinking from that the world provides, but then he offers her um, a living well. Uh, Chris, he's offering her a living well. So um, he says this in verse 11. The woman said to him, sir... You have nothing to draw with. She recognizes that she has no bucket, right? That, that, that he didn't bring a bucket. He says that you have, no, uh, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? But whoever drinks from the well that I give him will never be thirsty again. The well that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so what Jesus offers is, is a different well. And it says, uh, he says this. He says, uh, he says that he's going to... He says, I will, I will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so this idea of this well that's inside, it comes from Isaiah chapter 58, verse 11. It says this, and this is Isaiah's prophecy to this well. It says, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in sun-scorched places and will make your bones strong. And you will be like a well-watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And so we read that scripture and we think about a well-watered garden. What that means is a garden that's watered well. Like if you look right now, my grass in my yard is not watered well. Maybe this past week it was, we got some rain. But up until this point, it's been dead, right? My lawn has been dead. I do not have a lawn. I have hay in my front yard, right? It's not watered well. I haven't done a good job of well. But that's not what this scripture is saying. Scripture saying is that not that you've got to water it really well. It says it's a well watered, meaning it's watered from a well, from a spring that's with the, with that's from the inside, and that's what Jesus is inviting her to. And so she asks this question: Is like you you don't have a bucket? How are you going to get this living water? And what she's asking is she's asking a religious question. Do you understand? She's asking a question of religion. She's saying, "What do I do to get that water?" What is required of me? What does it take? How long does your rope need to be? Whatever it may be. What do I need to do to get that water out and come to me? And I love that, that idea that she's asking this religion question. And he's saying, no, you don't get it. The, the well that I'm offering is a well within you. He's like, what I'm offering is a well that's going to water you from inside. It's going to be a spring inside of you that no matter the circumstances of your life, no matter what's going on on the outside, that no matter if my grass hasn't had water in 10 months, that you're going you're gonna to bud and flourish and you're going to be a flourishing garden because the well is from within. It's the same way if, I have a, if you have a lawn and you have a sprinkler that's broken, a sprinkler head that's broken, how do you know that you have a break in your line? Is that your grass is really green, right? Your whole lawn is kind of dead, and you have this really green portion. Is that somewhere underneath the ground, your water system is broken and is leaching water into the ground like a spring? 
right? And that's what he's saying to this woman. That's what he's telling her. And it, 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 it doesn't mean that being a well-watered garden means to be watered from the outside. And that's what he's offering this woman. She's asking about religion. She says, what do I need to do to obtain it? He's like, you do nothing. You can't obtain it. But I, what, I, what I'm offering and what I'm giving to you is this water that's from within. And she recognizes what he's talking about. That's the beauty. Here's this woman. She says, you're talking about the Messiah, aren't you? Because I know the Christ is coming. And I know that he's going to have all the answers and what he's going to, I know what you're talking about. And he says, that is who I am. And so uh, I love this story. And so I, I want to leave us with these few things. And there's three kind of application points for you, for your life, as we, as, and for us as, as we hear this story. The first is this. The first thing I want to tell you, uh, and the first application is pass through Samaria. And that Jesus made a decision to go into Samaria. And we have these opportunities in our lives. That we have our opportunities to step into something that's different to step into a relationship that may be new, to step into a prejudice, whatever it may be. And so often in life, and you know those people, like there's people in your life that you see them at the grocery store and you know you're pushing your cart and you turn down the aisle and you see them and you're like, oh, I don't want to have that conversation. I'm just going to come back, right? You go down the other aisle. You're like, I want to avoid that person. Or you see, you know, a neighbor walking home from school, right? And you're like, oh, we're going to wait. And, and yeah, I don't want to walk with them. I don't want to talk with them. They're different from me, whatever it is. Jesus doesn't do that. He walks right into that, right into the difference. And so there's opportunities for us to go through Samaria. There's potential in our lives and people that we know and circumstances and relationships that we can walk right into, into. And some of those may push all of our buttons. I may be a strong Republican and I believe this and here it is, is this neighbor and they're a Democrat and they've got a Beto out in their front yard and I don't like them. But look, the Lord puts you next to them. He doesn't care who you're voting for. He cares that you know and love him. And he wants your neighbor to know and love him. And it doesn't matter what your differences is. It doesn't matter how you may vote or what you might feel about certain things. That Jesus wants you to enter into that. And so I want to encourage you first and foremost to go and to pass through Samaria. The second thing in your life and that you can do today is identify the well. What is that well that you are drinking from that satisfies you, Right? I know those in my life, and sometimes those aren't bad. I joked last week, and I told y'all last week, and if you've talked to me in the last 10 days, I've been miserable with Shay being out. I'm unhappy. I don't like her being gone. She was on vacation. Well, not really vacation. She went to see her sister. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> she went to see her sister for 10 days, and I joked last week about how I was miserable, and I was unhappy when she was gone, and I said that, and that was true. I was unhappy when she was gone, but it made me think, like, that's not, how is, that's not right. As much as I love her and as incredible she is, if she goes away for 10 days and I become this different person, that's a well I'm drinking from. That's a blessing from God. It doesn't mean that my relationship with Shay is bad, but if I'm leaning so heavily on my relationship with her that, that I become unhappy when she leaves, maybe that's too much. Right? What is that well you're drinking from? Is it your job and, you, and, and where you are at work and you find value and who I am there and, and you know, and, and my identity is there. So, uh, and the last thing is this, is leave behind the jar. If you look in verse 28, it says, so the woman left her water jar. And I love this idea. It's here she is drawing from this well. And when she realizes Christ, he sets, they leave the water jug. And she leaves and she goes. And she leaves it there. And so it's a sign, the symbol of repentance. 
is that she's repentant, is that she sets down her water jug and she goes. And that's what repentance looks like. It looks like setting it down, leaving it, turning, and going in the other direction. So I'm going to invite the worship team back here, and I'm going to read this last line. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through something really quickly as we, as we finish out. Is that there, Here's this woman in verse 28. And it says this. It says, So the woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, Come and see. Can this be the Christ? And I love that invitation to come and see. And so what we're going to do uh, as we close is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask uh, Martha and Russ and Shay to come up. Is We're going to take communion together uh, to close out this morning. And uh, these guys are going to lead us through a song. And so I love this picture of communion that what it literally is, it is the bread representing the body of Christ and the cup representing the blood of Christ. And it is literally offering Jesus to people. That, that when you come and take communion, it's to be done in remembrance. And, and it's this activity of you taking the body of Christ. And when we, offer, if, when we offer communion and we offer that to you, we are offering you Jesus it's just this offering to take Christ. And that's this beautiful image of this woman leaving her jar behind, running into the city, not caring that no one accepts her for who she is and says, come and see, I found the Messiah. And people come in droves. So if you guys would come over here, I'm gonna pray quickly. And what we're gonna do is they're gonna lead us through. Um, and so I just want you to take some moments to, to, to think through that and think what it looks like to come and take Christ. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.